Let me tell you a story. Welcome, Welcome to the show. To the show. Hi, Chris and Jerry. Hello and welcome back. Let me tell you a story, episode five. Today we are going to cover a fun topic. It is annoying at times. Sometimes you're stuck in your car, you're looking around. The exit that you need to get on is completely blocked. Here in Portland, the beautiful Pacific Northwest, they happen all the time, especially if you're around the Pearl District, the waterfront, protest. This is something that's been happening since the dawn of time. I am not a doctor by any means. I do not know the psychology in the human mind that makes people want to get together as a group and show their unity for whatever cause it may be. But protests have gone over the top in recent years. Before I get into my story, I want to go over a few oddball ones that stuck out to me that I found highly entertaining. So, without further ado, let's get rolling. With every episode before I start my story, you know, I do a little bit of research. I was a horrible student, so my research is probably way off. I wouldn't recommend basing your thesis on anything that I give you. However, I hope to entertain and share some knowledge. I started digging around, and one of the first ones that piqued my interest was back in 1688, the Germantown protest. The first organized protest in the Americas was composed over 300 years ago in 1688 by four Germantown Quakers. This was a protest that had meaning. It had substance. There was something to it. It was all about slavery. We shouldn't judge the book by its cover. Just because you're a different color than me doesn't mean that you cannot do the same functions that I can in society. And look at how long it took us to address that issue. And have we addressed that issue? But this episode isn't going to dig into racial inequality. I just want to point out that this was a great reason to gather people and to get their torches lit, stomp their feet, make some noise. In today's society, we no longer see that. People protest over the weirdest oddball stuff that you can imagine. It's so out of hand that it's just become the norm in society. We've all accepted it. The news will run out there and cover it. Articles are written about it. Who am I to judge if these people feel in their heart they have something they need to get off their chest they need to point out to society more power to them here in the pacific northwest we're surrounded by some intense political riots you know our great leader mr trump isn't helping the situation however when we have a dem in office it's the same thing then the far right's going to start there is no way to appease any kind of group whether you're left, whether you're right, whether you're down the center, people are always going to find a reason to complain. I just wish that there was more substance to some of these protests. One of my favorites that I found this morning was PETA. Everybody loves PETA. They want to protect the animals. PETA held a protest for better treatment of digital animals. Okay, let that sink in. PETA held a protest for better treatment of digital animals in today's video games. The video game debate I've never understood. My son plays video games all the time. We also keep him busy with Taekwondo, with piano. And I trust that my son is not going to do the same things that he sees in a video game in his daily life. He has a game called Goat Simulator that he likes to show off when new people are at the house. And this goat does crazy things. You can throw it off a cliff. It has a tongue that extends like a cartoon frog. You can snag up humans with it and drag them down the street. However, our parenting skills have taught our son right from wrong 
And in my humble opinion, if anything, video games are strengthening this kid's coordination. As I was looking for more information on this protest, I came across other scenarios. PETA urges players to save the seals in World of Warcraft. PETA launches an anti-Mario campaign. Call of Duty is apparently violent towards animals. Battlefield 3 is cruel to rats. If you want to find cruelty in something, you're going to find it. If you wake up in the middle of the night and there's a couple rats with their big-ass teeth taking chunks out of your skin, chances are you're going to pick one up and chuck it against the wall, splattering its head. Whoever is in charge of that area of PETA should focus their actions on live animals. You know, we have plenty of poaching going on around the world. In general, I can't stand the political protest in Portland. It drives me insane. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a voice. I am not saying that you don't have the right to do what you're doing. I believe you do. However, I think that the way that you're going about it is completely flawed. If you are anti-anything, you shouldn't hide in a city like Portland. Whether you're preaching about veganism, whether you're preaching about being a vegetarian, whether you're preaching about the slaughtering of seals in Mongolia, go to a community where we don't have 1,500 of you huddled up and spread the word. You know, if, if racism bothers you, take your ass down south. Go find some of those Confederate flags and go door to door. Tell them how much racism bothers you. Show them examples. Here in Portland, you're preaching to the choir. In 2003, in the gorgeous city of San Francisco, some real bright individuals took to the streets to protest the Iraqi war. They said the war was making them sick. I believe that there is some substance to that protest. Shock and awe is not for everybody. However, the way they went about the protest was ridiculous. They went about it with a vomit. They clustered up and they started vomiting on the streets in front of a federal building. Now this solves nothing. It makes a mess of the city that you live in and for you to support this is, is ridiculous. Traffic is already bad enough in San Francisco. There's already enough homeless people with their doo-doo all over the city. If you have ever lived in San Francisco or spent any amount of time there on an extended vacation, walking the streets of San Francisco is extremely enjoyable sometimes. The whack jobs that you run into are to another level. If you're in San Francisco and you're trying to commute to work, you're already bobbing and weaving all the wackos that you know what corners they're on, you know which ones to avoid. The last thing you want to do is have to hurdle puddles of vomit. It just doesn't make very much sense to me as a person. Another fun one that I came across was spelling bee protesters. Some people literally dressed up like bees, and this protest was all about how the English language is too hard to learn, and they felt it was necessary to protest spelling bees. If you are a young child, and you want to work your tail off and spend months on top of months learning how to spell every word in the English dictionary, more power to you. I imagine every child that participates in that spelling bee is going to turn out to be a decent member in society. I just don't understand why somebody would waste their time to protest a spelling bee. If you find yourself with that desire, you are that fed up that you need to go out and shake your spear, find something that 
is worth protesting. Find something that's going to make a change. Even if you win, you shut down spelling bees. What did you accomplish? You know, if the English language isn't for you, don't speak English. Speak French. A couple years ago, we went out and played a foursome of golf. My son Gage tagged along as well. So technically there were five of us. Usually when he goes, he only plays a few holes. The end of our ride, on the walk back to the car, Portland was hosting its naked bike ride. If you haven't had the opportunity to check out the naked bike ride, it is a sight for sore eyes. A massive group of people take off their clothing, jump on their bike. Some of them you could confuse for burners the way that their bikes look. And they just ride their dedicated route. I've never understood this protest. My son Gage sure didn't understand it, but he got a kick out of it. And I learned that day that my buddy's wife is very judgmental of penis size. Schlong after schlong was slapping by us, and she couldn't help but comment on the lack of girth or length on these penises. And I was thinking to myself, like, God, this guy's trucking. You know, he's, he just went up a 500-foot hill. The last thing he wants to do is think about an erection. By cycling naked, we declare our confidence in the beauty and individuality of our bodies and the bicycle's place as a catalyst for change in the future of sustainability, transport, community, and recreation. I'm not knocking their hustle. Look, they look like they're having a blast. It's just not for me. When I look at that ride, I do not think of oil. I do not think of saving the planet. If anything, it's extra judgment for the bodies that are rolling by. And you see the whole spectrum of humanity out there, which is kind of neat. And I guess that speaks to their note of equality for all bodies. It is an odd position to be in as an onlooker of this event. You're fully clothed and you have your cell phone out snapping photos of tits jumping by and people are screaming at you, take your pants off. It's just a weird protest to me. But it's not the weirdest one. The weirdest one was one that I fell in love with. Originally, I'd set out, I was going to tell a story about the naked bike ride. That was going to be my bread and butter for this episode. Yet, the Google fairy presented me with a better option, in my opinion. Something more my style. It's got a little grit to it. So if you have a few seconds, please join me for a story. 2009 was the year. America was still buzzing over the steamy love triangle involving a sparkly vampire, raging werewolf, and a lonely, misplaced teenage girl. President Obama was fresh in office, declaring our troops would be out of Iraq by August. The King of Pop had his final meeting with that evil seductress Karma. She showed her face in the form of an ill-mixed prescription. General Motors was busy in the closet with Uncle Sam, with the public hearing whispers of a bailout. None of these stories could bring a single ounce of entertainment or joy to a 25-year-old Egyptian man. You see, two years prior, young Amon found pure, unadulterated intoxication at its truest form. Stars were shining brighter, drinks were tasting sweeter, days were passing by like minutes. Young Amon was living on a cloud, not just any cloud, he was living on the ninth cloud. Coming from a prominent Egyptian family, in a society where status and appearance were the only licensed drivers, emotions and love would always sit shotgun. This way of living became second nature to any man whose family had any worth or significant social value. 
Any true-to-life emotion or love lay buried many feet beneath the superficial Egyptian sands. Every moment of the day, his mind raced with the ultimate taboo, love. However, this was not any ordinary love. A simple hanging up of the phone or hate-filled text could not begin to diminish its strength. This was a true love, a feeling that no other dignified blue blood could ever sense, much less understand. A love at first sight, which Amon once believed was a notion that could not exist. Generations of teachings from bitter bloodlines did not subscribe to such an idiotic way of living. You must understand in these ancient worlds, with roots running deep, the help is just that, simple and to the point. Souls of lower society could never taint the fairest of bloods. During another meaningless excursion with his father Atten, young Amon ordered up his mind's most sought-after dish. Nights like this were standard for a family with pockets deeper than the darkest seas. As he impatiently waited for his cushery to arrive, he noticed a blemish at the table. He wondered how the staff could let any imperfection show its face around society of this kind. A lone dung beetle stampered across his father's napkin who was sitting next to him. Also growing impatient, however lost in conversation. Speaking of his latest handball conquest, the elder failed to notice the beetle spoiling his fine linen. Young Amon 007 the beetle without interrupting the recycle story like he had completed this mundane mission a thousand times over. Trapping the beetle within his gold-laced fingers, he quietly toiled with it while his father endlessly let the air escape from his bottomless lungs. A short distraction, a road to mental freedom, was just what young Amon needed. Amon's valiant heroics would forever go unnoticed. If his father would have noticed the beetle, Egypt now would be populated with one less insect and surely a staffer's head would have been served on a platter in lieu of the fragrant mix of lentil and onions. Captivated by the beetle rotating and weaving from finger to finger, his peacefulness was stolen from his mind as a crashing of glass was followed by a river of 06 French Bordeaux, now overtaking the table like wild rapids he once watched Merrill Street navigate in one of his many American movies he collected, The River Wild. His father was furious, standing up with such vigor his chair slammed to the ground where it met a most beautiful threaded Persian rug. Young Amon was not disappointed or dissatisfied one bit. He preferred the 09's ripe luscious fruit over the 06's exploding tannin. He could never speak out of turn and make such an insane request to his father. Secretly, he knew his father's palate was lacking taste. Not to mention, his father had zero ability to pair fine wines with fast food much less any Michelin-rated establishments. During all of the commotion, heroics quickly turned to a dark and twisted end of life for the once-admired beetle, who now lay dissected between two of young Amon's rings. It was at this very moment when his life would begin. It was as if his lungs felt air for the first time in his life. As he looked up, he could not help but stare, locking his eyes with a beautiful young woman whose life was about to change forever. His father, Atten, was making such a horrific scene, the woman was showering the table with tears. One simple slip-up from carrying an overloaded tray has now lost her the only job that she has ever known. Young Amon watched as his father berated the manager, demanding she be escorted out before he continued his meal at a new table. Disgusted with his father's display of rage, moments like this had become common for young Amon since his mother had passed from a long, unrelenting battle with cancer a battle that not even the largest bribes could defeat. Dismissing himself from the scene, young Amon stepped outside and slammed into the eyes again. 
the eyes that he could barely remember, yet somehow never forget. Only now, she was different. Her clothes were battered, and her right cheek looked inflamed. Soon to be bruised, he thought. Young Amon had a close connection with women being struck. He knew the timeline well enough to recommend ice. After the blood vessels burst, it is only a few moments before the blood gets trapped under the skin. Wanting to help indeed, only this was public. He could never shame his family name. Stepping closer to her, he could smell rosebuds mixed with tonic. He whispered in her ear, What's your name? She replied, Cleo. Amon whispered back, Take this, get some ice, and he handed her a band of money. Over the next two years, Cleo and Amon developed a mental bond second to none, a love shared only in the desolate back alleys, a love that was hidden, hidden deep beneath those superficial Egyptian sands. One spring morning, Atten awoke his son with two words, It's time! and handed him a picture of a woman, a beautiful woman. No man could ever dispute that. What am I to do with this, father? This is the woman you will marry. Take a good look. This is the mother of my future grandsons, the vessel that will carry on our name for future generations. Young Amon was sickened as his father left the room, lost in thought. He imagined many different scenarios, running away, leaving this desert, leaving this world and finding a new domain to love and happiness with Cleo. Young Amon believed in life. He also believed in loyalty, trust, and family. He could not leave his father, his friends, his life. He knew he had to go with the second scenario. He must tell his father. He must speak the taboo into existence. Entering his father's library, he could smell the Cuban scent burning as his father ashed his cohiba. Unlike wine, his father could pair a cigar with a dead fish. His taste for a proper smoke could never be challenged. He had a collection that would make Castro look twice. During the conversation with his father, anger raged, tears fell, and books slammed. Never. It will never happen. Our blood is too pure. Our genes can be traced to Abraham. A fool you must be to think a servant will ever sit at our table. Destroyed, Amon knew his father would never change his mind. What would society say? when a servant now wore our ancient relics on her chest plate, Amon. Ancient relics? What about me? What about my emotions and undying love for Cleo? Cleo? Who is Cleo? She is a servant. Never again mention this name in my presence. I have stood by you, father, through it all. I watched you strike her night after night. I watched you steal her soul with every mistress in late night. Do not speak to me of pureness. I will never present you grandsons with any woman. You can die in your own hate and anger alone. I will introduce a new bloodline and love my son or daughter the way you could never love anyone close to you. Catching his breath, the young Amon exited the library. His father screamed down the hall. She will be dead, gone like your mother, and you too will move on and live the life I have provided. Amon could feel the rage brewing inside his soul. He turned to his father and said one simple word, never. Parting ways, Amon found himself in his room, a beautiful room well-equipped for any task at hand. His father had indeed provided anything material young Amon had ever asked for. On the wall, Amon reached for a beautiful golden scalpel. His father had gifted it to him on his ninth birthday. He can remember that day clearly. It was the first day he caught a glimpse, a glimpse of his father beating his mother. Unzipping his American denim, 
he dropped his CK boxers, grabbed his girthy penis, closed his eyes and whispered one word, never. Just before he let the golden scalpel cut off his entire shaft. Well, I'm not exactly sure that's how it went. However, it was a real protest. There was a family in Egypt. He wanted to marry somebody who was in a lower ranking of society. His family said no, and this was this gentleman's protest to his family. He cut off his penis. However, this was a short story that I wrote. I figured I would fill in the blanks. Well, Chris, you know, in the case of your story, you can choose to cut something off to uh, protest. In the case of Jennifer here, uh, you can choose to not cut anything at all to protest. All right, this is the story of Jennifer Thornburg. Let me tell you a story about her. Well, Jennifer, she's 17 years old, just got a driver's license, just going to high school, you know, dating on and off, just exploring life, loving life, going to school, looking at college potentials. And, um, you know, but first you got to worry about getting some good grades in high school. So she's going through her classes. She's going to PE in the mornings, right? Getting the blood pumping, doing her calisthenics or, or uh, her kettlebells, right? Doing some yoga or Pilates, whatever you do in high school. Maybe playing, playing dodgeball or doing some jump rope. Right, any of those things. And she goes on to math where she's she excels in math, does really well. That's her expertise. And, uh, you know, then off to science. And science is usually a fun subject for her. And today, today she gets to do some dissecting. You get to do some hands-on exploring of the, the anatomy of an animal. Usually it's a frog, but in this case, um, they're doing chicken wings. So you get to cut up a little chicken wing, you see where the muscles and the bones all connect, and where the skin and the veins, what they all do in there. And it uh, just gives you kind of an, an inside look at like the animal uh, anatomy. And uh, you know, Je Jennifer, Jennifer Thornburg, she's not a vegetarian, she's looking forward to it. And uh, she, she's, she's eaten chicken wings before, but you know, this is when you see the chicken wing, right? It's a little different. It's got the, the feathers still attached. It's not as clean as the ones you eat in the restaurant. Definitely not as tasty. And so uh, she starts thinking, like, oh, chicken wings is actually a chicken's wing, right? That's a little, it's kind of a mind blower. She doesn't realize, right? All these years she's been eating the wings of a chicken. So she's just cutting into this thing. The more she cuts into it, and the more she starts thinking about life and, and the animal's life. She starts thinking about, oh, this animal used to be alive. And, oh, geez, they, they use this chicken wing to fly around, probably go and visit their mother and father on the weekends and then fly off to to go back home. And now I'm just chopping this thing up. That doesn't seem right. And her friend's like, can, can you get out of the way? I want to turn too. So, but she's just kind of in a headspace where she's she's really contemplating like whether it's right or wrong to cut this thing up. Um, I mean, it's already dead, so might as well use it for science. But then the more you use it for science, the more things you're killing. That's a, it's just a black hole of of just thoughts, and questions, moral dilemmas, right? All this. So Jennifer Thornburg, she's she leaves feeling just awful. She can't get it out of her head, so she goes home and she's just just mulling over, like, oh, what did I just do? And all these years of eating animals, like, what have, what have I done? She goes on websites and goes down rabbit holes. Yeah, no, no pun intended. No pun. So she's just going down this rabbit hole, looking at animal cruelty videos and and you know the. the Back, backstage, what do they call it? The back scenes? The behind the scenes. They you know the behind the scenes of, of just 
slaughterhouses and just horrible things that happen to animals, right? The cows, the chickens, ugh, the goats, right? What else do we eat? Just all these, these horrible things that go on. And Jennifer, she's getting more and more just sickened by the idea of just, what are we doing? Just, we already know tons about the animal anatomy. Why are we cutting these things up? And so she goes to her school the next day, just thinking about all this. And she's just, she's just, hey, is there any way we can just stop dissecting things? And they're like, no, 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 kid. Jennifer, Jennifer, we've got these, these criteria that we have to meet, right? We can't just start getting rid of subjects just because they make you feel a little uncomfortable. I mean, knowledge, right? knowledge might make you feel a little uncomfortable sometimes right? gaining this knowledge is, is important and right growing is a little uncomfortable sometimes you know you just got to step out of your comfort zone and learn a little bit but old Jennifer she's not taking any of this so what she does she doesn't know what to do right she's just a kid how do you how do you make a change in this world so what she does is she takes her favorite her favorite website it's called cut out dissection very clever right and cutting out dissection getting rid of dissection but also fun play on words cut out there and uh, so she takes that and she says, you know what? Start cutting, start calling me cutoutdissection.com. And takes it a step further, ends up going to the name change office, right? Downtown, that's where you change your name <laughs> at the name change office. So she uh, she goes down there and she changes her name legally, right? Legally, she is now cutoutdissection.com, that's her name. Cutout is her first name, dissection.com, last name. Goes to the DMV, gets her new because she's got the driver's license, gets her new driver's license made up, right, with, it says dissection.com, comma, cutout, right, because it's last name first, first name last, and so that's her new name, goes to school, starts introducing herself, now don't call me Jennifer anymore, it's my former name, right, it's my slave name, now I'm cutoutdissection.com, you can just call me cutout, it gives the kids a break, and, uh, so that word spreads, right? The, the school's kind of, not an uproar, but they're, just, they're a little uneasy about the whole situation, how far she's kind of taken this whole thing. And uh, But she ends up making a difference, right? The school uh, ends up changing their policy. So no longer do you have to, to dissect things in order to get a good grade, but you can opt out. You can say, you know what? I'm not going to dissect. I don't think it's right. And then so so she ends up graduating, right? She becomes a hero of the school. Maybe, maybe a villain to some, but yeah, I'd call her a hero. She becomes a hero. And, uh, you know, just everywhere she goes, she introduces herself. And that's that's another way of spreading the message or little message and just how dissection is not right. Not, not right at all. And so she ends up graduating from high school. And now she's working as an intern at a, it's a People for Ethical Treatment of Animals. That's where she's interning now. And super happy. She wants to just pursue this career and being a, an activist, right, doing the her solo protests, I call it the quiet riot, right? You're not not forming these huge groups, um, but you're also not, you're not doing nothing, right? You're still doing something, it's just something that's more meaningful and more uh, subdued. Um, so good for you, Jennifer. You know, I don't I don't know what your stance is out there about, you know, dissecting animals or meat eating in general, but um, you know, if you believe in something, might as well take it a, one step further and uh, try to make a difference. You know, if we all did that, Oh, Lord, who knows what the, the world would look like. <laughs> Everybody's upset about something. And I feel like everybody has a reason to protest. But let me tell you what, Chris, nobody does it better than the European dairy farmers. So let me tell you a story about these guys. These guys are nuts. All right, so back in 2009, or probably earlier than that, um, the milk prices, they started dropping real low because of uh, too much production. <clears throat> so these big... 
companies were making a bunch of milk and the poor the poor farmers, right, the local farmers that had been doing this all their life, they were losing money. There was so much milk on the market that the prices had dropped and now they can't sell their, their milk for what they need to pay their bills. Uh, so big problem. So they were getting upset. The government, right, they, they did these things called the milk quotas. Real boring, but basically what they did was they limited everybody's production. So you can only produce so much milk based on how many how much quotas you have. So yeah, so hopefully it was going to help stabilize everybody. You know, everybody's going to produce less amount of milk. So everybody, the prices were going to go up a little bit and everybody's going to make some money. And in the end, be happy and content, right? Be able to go home to your family, put some food on the table. Uh, but that's not what happened. What did happen was these quotas, right? These milk quotas, they were able to be bought and sold. Oh no. Big businesses, they just bought a bunch of these quotas. And they kept doing what they were doing. So the quotas weren't working, right? Milk price is still low. Farmers, they don't know what else to do, right? They don't have anybody else to turn to. Government's not helping out. These big businesses are ripping them off. And their poor livelihoods are at stake. And so, so what else do you do? You protest. So these guys, they, uh, they go to Brussels, right? Not by car, not by train, no. But a bunch of these farmers, they say about 4,800 farmers, they get in their, their tractors. They're, they're driving their tractors from the, the outskirts of town, right? Because they don't live in the middle of the city. They're living on these big farms. And they're driving their, their tractors. They're disrupting traffic. And, uh, but this is, this is part of the movement, right? They want everybody to know, okay, there's a problem here. We need a solution. So these dairy farmers driving these giant tractors in the middle of these big old cities. And, uh, and then they, they actually get to the city, right? They get to, I think it was Brussels. Brussels is where they, they held the protest. And they got out of these tractors and they just start pouring milk onto the streets, right? They're throwing eggs and they're starting fires <laughs> by lighting their hay bales, right? Typical, typ typical farmer uh, equipment they're using, right? Eggs and hay, but they're just doing it to make a stance about what's going on in their poor lives. And so there's just tractors everywhere. Some of these guys even brought in cattle, their own cattle. The wildest thing I heard was because the police were called in, they were trying to stop them from damaging things. So the people who brought their cows, they were milking their cows, just squirting, squirting their cow milk from the nipple, straight from the nipple, onto the police. Just going up to their, the police. I'm guessing they had those little shields, shields that block attacks, and they're just squirting, squirting that shield with little cow milk straight from the nipple just right at the guys super wild so turns out they dumped after the whole thing was through right turns out they dumped about three million liters of milk and i don't know what the math is on that metric to uh standard but that sounds like a lot of milk they were uh they were protesting the whole thing and fast forward you know 2015 they actually in the quotas things aren't getting a whole lot better so um, what do they do? They, they hold some more protests, right? They have model cows in the streets, and they're pouring milk, burning hay bales again. And uh, this is when they're holding talks in the, the European Commission headquarters. They're doing that. So outside, they're, they're holding these demonstrations, just saying, hey, we are unhappy. You need to fix this. This is a problem. Yeah, some, some guy just dumped a trailer load of pig feed and three pigs, right? So <laughs> he dumped the food out, and the pigs got out to eat. So now there's just pigs. and and pig food all over the place, milks all over the place. And they're still upset because the milk prices are still going going down. And you know, everybody's trying to come up with a solution. They got rid of the quotas, production's increasing, prices are dropping. 
But now, old Russia, right, those problem, problem childs, they are impo they imposed a boycott, European Union exports, so no more milk delivered from Europe, Europe to those people, right? And then the Chinese market, they say it started shrinking. Who knows if that's true or not? Heard a lot of sketchy things about China lately. So all these things coupled together, right, and uh, still no real solutions. So fast forward even even more current, right? So now there, now there's these things. They're called milk powder stocks, right? I'm guessing it's just stocks of milk powder. And what they do is, is they uh, they they told the the farmers they said, hey, listen, we're not going to use these things. We're not going to sell them any anymore. You can just put that out of your mind. Don't let those because I guess if people start using this milk powder, then they stop, you know, buying the the original milk from the farmers. And that can cause more problems for them. They said, "Hey, we're not going to sell these here. We're not. It's not going to be a, an issue." But then they said, "You know what? <laughs> Everything looks okay. Let's put just a small portion of the milk powder stocks back up for sale, maybe for a year, just to see how they do. And you know how that goes, right? Just give them an inch, and they'll take a mile. All of a sudden, every single person will be selling milk stocks, and the whole thing will be whole, all the way back to." being horrible again this made the the farmers upset once again so what do they do they go down to the, the headquarters the european union's head, headquarters where people are holding talks over whether they should introduce the stock the milk powder stocks and uh, what do they do they get they get some of that that milk powder and they just start spraying it <clears throat> all over the building somebody had, had brought a powerful sprayer on uh, they hooked it to a, to a tractor back of a tractor and they just sprayed powder, milk powder, sticky old milk powder, all over the building, the headquarters, just covered the thing. They said it looked like it snowed, snowy, sticky white, must have been horrible to clean up. But anyway, so that's how these guys do it. They're unhappy about the situation. I'm not sure if it's settled or not, but they, uh, you know, they took to the streets. They led their protests, tractors all over the streets, milk powder everywhere, people squirting cow udders at <laughs> police officers. And yeah, so hopefully they uh, come to some resolution soon so these guys can just get back to, to doing what they love and milking some cows and selling some cheese. Chris and Jerry.